you haven't gotten me up here this early in a long, long time. I should have written a longer sermon, I think. <laughs> now, we'll see if we can get out of here and you can enjoy this beautiful day. Uh, it's really great, beautiful. Would you pray with me? God Almighty, that's your name. And we come to you today seeking your presence in our lives, seeking your might, actually. We need to draw from your strength because we in ourselves do not have the strength that we need even to uh, make it through the day sometimes. And so we worship you and praise you as God Almighty, the one who gives strength. And you particularly love to give strength to those who are in desperate need of it. What a beautiful God. And we just lift up those who are in our midst this morning who are feeling empty and low and at the end of their reserves. And we ask that you, as you have so often done, all through the Bible, read, read about it, all through history we see, would you just come alongside those in need this morning with your great strength and provide what is necessary to make it on to the next step. step. And we pray, Lord, for those who are battling physical illness this morning, and we think of those people in our lives. Maybe we have relatives in a different place or, or friends somewhere else um, who are battling uh, illness, and it's making them weak. And we pray for the strengthening that comes from you. We lift up our brothers and sisters here who are in need, and we lift up those that we love who are in need. And just pray for your, we lift up those who are, you, you ask us to pray for the sick, and so we're praying for the sick. And you know each sick person that's in our mind right now that's special to us, and we lift them up to you. And we have to take a minute to pray for those suffering uh, from the earthquakes in Japan and um, uh, Ecuador, I believe it is, uh, this morning, we pray, Lord, that, that you would uh, be helping the rescuers to find those who are trapped and uh, just hanging on to life this morning. Would you give them good hearing and, and insight and use all the tools to be able to find them and the strength to be able to rescue them? And we pray uh, for those who have lost loved ones. We pray that this would be a time of leaning into you, discovering you, um, understanding you, drawing on your resources uh, and that the, the family of God, we pray, would rise up in those places and even around the world to bring the help that is needed. So we lift them up to you. And now we pray as we're studying your words in Scripture that you would meet us by your Spirit. We're so grateful that because of the death of Jesus Christ, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit is present with us. And would you move in our midst today to bring about the kinds of growth and change and transformation that is right and fitting and true. Uh, according to who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you know, most of you know, we're doing some work on our house, and um, I haven't really mentioned it much, but a few months back, uh, I, I arrived on a Saturday morning, and there was a pile of gravel. I think it was about nine tons of gravel sitting in front of my driveway, and my task that morning was to move it from the, the driveway basically to the rest of the house. And um, sort of funny, my contractor's actually here. Edward, raise your hand. <laughs> and uh, so Edward's my taskmaster, and he had uh, said this for me. Um, and, and I looked at this gravel, and I thought, oh, my goodness, it's never going to happen. And, and one or two shovelfuls, and, you know, I'm filling the, the wheelbarrow, and I go all the way 
um, to the back of the house and dump it off, and I come back, and guess what? The pile looks exactly the same as when I first started. And I do that nine or ten times, and the pile still looks exactly the same. Uh, but lo and behold, you know, a few hours go by, and you keep shoveling, and you keep moving, and all of a sudden, you look up, and the pile is smaller than it was. And then eventually, it's half the size. And then you stop for lunch, you come back, you do a little bit more, and all of a sudden, uh, the pile, and you think, we, I can do this. This can get finished. Uh, and, and, and it does. And, and there's a dynamic there at work that is, is similar to the way life works. We, we, we start off in life, we look at, at the mountain ahead of us oftentimes, and, and all the things that have to be done, and they, it seems overwhelming, and, and, you, and you put one foot in front of the other, and you get started in it, and then all of a sudden, um, the mountain starts to shrink, and, and time seems to go faster, and, and I am uh, safely ensconced in middle age at this point. And so I, I have a sense of how time accelerates uh, as you get older. Uh, and, and, and what seemed like this, in, this long, sort of vast expanse in front of you shrinks more and more quickly, it seems. And so the question for us this morning is, how do you deal with the brevity of life? How do you deal with this dynamic of time? Would you open with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Paul has some words on this subject. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to pass one to you, so uh, don't be shy. Uh, you could take this Bible home with you. We really encourage you to take and have a Bible with you at home um, so you can read it on your own. It's page 675 that we're going to be looking at in that particular Bible, and it's Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, and, and we're going to be talking about the brevity and, and somewhat the messiness of life and how we approach it. So starting in verse 15, Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What I want to say on this text this morning can be summarized in this way. Basically, life is short, so live wisely. Life is short, and maybe we should say messy, so live wisely. This is a very practical text, and we're in this part of Ephesians that is all about how to live, how to do life in response to what God has done. And so if you're newer with us and you missed the first three chapters of Ephesians, I encourage you to, to maybe go back and listen to some of those sermons or at least study it. Because you cannot talk about how you should live until you talk about what God has first done to demonstrate his great love for us. And you cannot talk about what you should do until you talk about who you are. And chapters 1 through 3 about who you are in Christ. And it's essential to understand in order to be talking then about what we are to do in life. So, but we are in the middle of what we're supposed to do, uh, the call on our life, and that's what uh, Paul is talking. And he's talking very practically here about the day. This word, walk, he's used now seven times, and it refers to sort of the, the, the daily living. 
the step-by-step, the stepwise action of life. We go from one thing to the next. And just as we walk, when we walk, we put one foot in front of the other. Life comes to us in that kind of a way. One day at a time, one step at a time, one activity at a time, one portion at a time. And, and so he's talking very practically about life. And it's not just short, this life. It's, it's, it, it, he says the days themselves are evil. And, and I, probably, I stumbled over that when I first thought, what does he mean by the days are evil? Um, but you have to go back. You have to think in the context of the whole Bible. Uh, when God initially created, the days were good, right? The days were good. And they were beautiful and, and everything was how it should be. But now, because of the fall... Sin has entered in, and now the days are characterized by the fallenness and the brokenness of this world. And, and so when we, we strive to do the work that we want to do, we encounter all kinds of obstacles and struggles and things that we didn't expect that make it hard. The soil is hard. Work is hard. And so the days are difficult. They've, they've lost a measure of that goodness that they originally had at the very beginning. And, and moreover, um, not only uh, is, is it hard because of sin, it's hard because of evil in the world. And back in chapter 2, Paul wrote about the prince of the powers of the air, the, the one who, who the, prince, the, the prince of this world, I should say, who is, is, is in the midst infecting with his evil intentions everything that's going on in this world. And so because of the fall and the presence of evil in this world, the days are evil. Paul can say the days are evil. And you've experienced that, right? You've experienced days where you got up with hope and joy and it seemed like, you know, you, you couldn't even find a cereal bowl. And it just went downhill from there, right? You, everything just seemed to go the wrong way. Life was just against you. And, 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 and we've experienced days like that. But the message in this text is that the, the evilness is redeemable from these days. That's what this word means. If you look uh, in uh, verse 16, making the best use of the time. Another way to translate, and some of the older translations say redeeming the time. This is kind of where we get this, this phrase, redeeming the time. And that's what this word is about. It's about redeeming or if we were to, tra- we, could, we could look at a couple different ways to transit. It's, it's to make the best, that's what we have in our text, to rescue from misapplication. To rescue the time from misapplication. Or um, you could say uh, also that it's to snap up every opportunity. To take advantage of each opportunity that comes our way. And this is the gospel too, right? Let's just remind ourselves... This is the gospel, that Jesus had a very bad day when they took him and beat him and put the crown of thorns on his head and strung him up on that cross, sacrificing himself, an atoning sacrifice for sin. And all the people who followed him couldn't make sense of it. And they scattered and some betrayed and the women were there at the cross weeping. And it was awful. And the world went dark. But three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. And he transformed the, the badness of that day into good, which is how God so often works. And so that we now, what do we call that Friday on which Jesus died? Good Friday. Amazing that we could 
we could call it that. But that's the redemptive power of God to redeem the days. And it turns out, apparently, it's possible for us to redeem our days, to have little resurrections in the middle of our days. And to see the things, the small things and the hard things that we do being subsumed into God's overarching plan for this world so that it's not meaningless. I was shoveling those rocks and I dumped a wheelbarrow full and came back and there was my best friend, my wife, standing out there. And she grabbed a shovel and she started shoveling gravel into the wheelbarrow. And there's my best friend tenaciously filling these wheelbarrows and I'm running them back and forth and I come back out and each time now I'm not coming out and looking at the pile, I'm looking at my best friend working hard, right? (laughs) Didn't really expect that. (laughs) But it's true. It's true. You should have, I have video of her shoveling, and it was amazing. It was amazing. I don't know if I could keep up. Um, anyway, little resurrections in our, in our days. So, so how, do we, how do we redeem the time? How do we, how do we live wisely is the question. And, and Paul has some clear um, admonitions for us. And again, this is, a, this, is, this is challenging for us, and I want you to open your heart to be challenged. Maybe you're, you're not following Paul's admonitions here. And today, you're going to be called into something new and something fuller um, for your life. And so the first one is this. So life is short. Live wisely. The first one is choose the best. Choose the best. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Know what God's will is. Choose the best. We often think about redeeming the time as being about efficiency. And I love efficiency. Those of you who work with me or are with me on a daily basis, you know that I love efficiency. But at the end of the day, it can't be first and foremost about efficiency. What's more important is choosing. Um, Matt Perman wrote this book, What's Best Next? And if you are interested in productivity, I highly commend this book to you because the subtitle is Gospel Driven Productivity. And he takes all the books, you know, the one about the big rocks and all those books and sort of analyzes them. But then he sort of filters all of this through a gospel mindset. What's best next? Gospel-driven productivity. But he quotes Peter Drucker in that. He says this, Nothing is less productive than to make more efficient what should not be done at all. Right? And how much do we spend time making more efficient something that wasn't, we, we shouldn't be doing anyway? So we got to start at the right place. It makes more, more important is not your efficiency, but what you're choosing to do with your life and how you're spending your time. And think about our world, the choices that we have today. I mean, just imagine a kid, high school kid, sitting down at, at his or her desk to do a, 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 write a paper, all right? In the old days, that kid would sit down, what would they have? A pen and a piece of paper. And if there was anything exciting that was going to happen in that moment, it was going to happen between the ears because they were going to have to figure it out. Now, a a student sits down and and they pull out a computer. 
what could happen as they're sitting at that. They can essentially go anywhere in the world on that screen. Good places and bad places, far places and close places. And that student now has to decide to filter, what am I going to do, what am I not going to do? And it becomes overwhelming for a lot of people. We're living in a time where there's unprecedented choice about how we use our time, how we spend our time. You know, way, way back, people would wake up in the morning and they just did the same thing every day. And when they were doing that thing, oftentimes there wasn't a lot of decision about how you do it. We have an incredible, I read a book a while back called The Paradox of Choice. It's how choice overwhelms us. It, when we have more choices, we start to shut down and we don't know what to do. And sometimes we can't put our hand to the plow and just get something done. So how do you choose? And, and the, the, this, is the, this is the thing, is the, the way we choose. Our choices are shaped by the, the deep inner longings of our hearts and our souls. That ends up determining what we choose to do. So at the end of the day, it's not about efficiency, because first we've got to even think about what we're supposed to do, not, whether we're, not how efficiently we're doing it. Um, and it's about wanting and choosing the good. And this is where this will language comes in, the will of God. We align part of the, the work of following Christ is aligning our wills with the will of God. So that our deep longings and desires and wants match his so that we just sort of automatically choose those things that are going to be worthwhile. We don't waste our time making more efficient that which should never be done. And there's no shortcut to this. This is simply slow work of aligning our will with the will of God, of aligning our affections with what God likes and, and wants. It's slow work, and it's something, it's a responsibility that, that you need to accept on your own. Nobody can do this work for you. You need to take up the flag and say, I am going to seek to understand God's will for my life, God's will for my character, God's will for my relationships, God's will for everything. You have to take that responsibility. I can't do that for you, and your parents can't do that for you. Your children can't, you know, your home group leader can't. You have to take on that responsibility. And this is critically important that you take it on as a Christian. You don't outsource this to anybody else. That you are going to learn the will of God. I could say more about that, but we have to move on. Choose the best. Align your will with the will of God. The second thing that Paul mentions is we want to drink the best. Sounds a little strange, but it's kind of what he says here. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I know there are differing opinions on alcohol and the use of alcohol for Christians. Some people feel that we should not be drinking alcohol at all. And then on the other side of the scale, we have Christians, you know, who wear the shirt um, that um, supposedly is attributed to Ben Franklin. Uh, beer is proof that God loves us, right? Um, <laughs> but actually, um, I looked that up. It's actually, uh, the real quote is, was about wine and not about beer. And Ben Franklin said this, We hear of the conver- conversion of water into wine at the marriage in Cana as of a miracle. But this conversion is 
through the goodness of God, made every day before our eyes. Behold, the rain which descends from heaven upon our vineyards and which incorporates itself with the grapes to be changed into wine, a constant proof that God loves us and loves to see us happy. But that's too long for a t-shirt, so they changed it. And they said, beer is proof that God loves us. So some of us are in that camp, and some of us are in the camp. And, and we don't, as a church, we don't care, right? You, we care that we love each other in the process, and we allow for some dis- distinction in that. We want to honor um, both perspectives on that. Um, but we have to agree on this, because the Bible says this in multiple places, that drunkenness is bad. That, that drinking to the point where you're losing control of yourself um, is bad. And perhaps we go even deeper. You know, see that in the Proverbs. You see that here. Um, he says, do not get drunk with wine. Um, and I don't think he's excluding beer. I think he's saying it's okay to get drunk on beer. I'm not sure that would be the right reading of it. Um, do not get drunk. Uh, and, and so we have, to, we, have to, we have to kind of agree on that one because it's so clear. The deeper question is this, I think. What is my motivator? What is my motivator? And, and here's where alcohol can sneak in. Sometimes alcohol becomes that thing that helps you get through life. You're, you're tired, things are hard, and you just feel this sort of deep longing for a drink to kind of be able to get through. And if that's the way that alcohol is functioning in your life, then you know, this is maybe a, a scripture for you. Um, because, because we're not supposed to, to use alcohol in that way. Um, and so for some of you, if you're not sure if that's the case, that you think that might be the case sometimes, I want to encourage you to consider taking a break. Just as a way to, to, for some self-reflection and think about what a, how is this functioning in my life? How, is this, how, is, how, is, how am I using this um, in, my, in my daily living? And for all of us, here's the thing that this scripture is saying, is that better than, than being motivated or you know, getting through by spirits is getting through on the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. That when we're broken down and we're tired and we got nothing left in the tank, our impulse would not be to pull out a drink, but to go to prayer or to the scripture, to draw on the strength of the Holy Spirit. And we, you know, we love our different, con- and I, you know, I'm there too, I love to go over to the tap room, and wow, there's like 34 different kinds of beer on tap. Amazing. We think, we live in the Bay Area, we are so privileged because we have places like that. But I just want to put that in scale. Do you understand that there is something on tap that is infinitely greater, that cannot be compared to the tap room, you know, or field works now, you know, whatever. The Holy Spirit is available to us. And, And so the question is, how do I get the Holy, how do I get more of the Holy Spirit? And this is not a sermon, although it would be fun, um, on how we draw on the Holy Spirit, because that's one part of this. So I'm just going to nudge you in this direction. One of my favorite teachers on the subject of the Holy Spirit, on the subject um, of being filled and empowered, 
is Andrew Murray. I've read the book Humility um, like 40 times probably. I still obviously have work to do, um, so I keep reading it. Um, someday I'm going to master it. Um, but I won't say anything when I do because I'll be really humble. Um, so Andrew Murray says this. He says, Water always fills first the lowest places. The lower, the emptier a man lies before God, the speedier and the fuller will be the inflow of the divine glory. So just a quick note. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then get humble, get low, okay? Get empty. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, get humble, get low, and get empty. All right. We move on. So it says, choose the best, align your will with the, with the will of God, and that's a long, slow, slow cook process that you daily need to be interacting with the Scripture and taking ownership. Drink the best, okay? Realize that the greatest motivator and source of strength is the Holy Spirit, not spirits. Sing the best, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your hearts. Uh, it's impossible to distinguish what those different types of music are, songs, the hymns and the spiritual songs. Um, that we, we really can't make, you know, it's not like there's really specific categories, and it, that's not really what's important. It's the idea that these are songs about God. They're spiritual songs and they're, they're hymns, and you're to sing them to one another, and, and, and so um, we know that the Christians, Pliny says this, were char- they would get up early in the morning and worship, like every day. They would get up and, and people would be on their way to work and they would hear the Christians singing. They would start their day with singing. So, so important was it. And, and so I asked myself, what is, what is this about? And, and it's not just about the content of those songs. That was my initial thought, was that it's about the content. They're figuring out ways to teach each other through the songs. I think there's something, there's that, definitely. But there's something about music that sets the mood for life, right? Isn't that true? I mean, you try to find a song that fits with what you're doing. And now we have the ability to kind of have like a soundtrack to every moment of life, right? You know, and we try to, we try to have this, because music, we know deep down music is so powerful to set the mood and the tone and the attitude and the, the posture. And, and what Paul is saying, use that power to shape the way you move through your day. Use that God-given power of music to shape the way you move through your day. It's powerful. When I was in college, I went through a Doors phase. I was listening to the Doors. They, you know, a lot of you haven't listened to the Doors. Um, And they're very depressing on one level. And I was reading all about, uh, um, you know, their lives and stuff. And then I was reading a lot of Hemingway because I was, and, and man, I was getting suicidal listening to the Doors all the time, and reading Hemingway, who's a very impoverished view of life, it's all about individualism, and, and, and I remember a distinct moment when I, I put the doors on in my car, and I had to punch the tape, it was a tape, I had to pull the tape back out, 
because I just literally couldn't take it. And it, it just shows you the power of music to shape the way our mood goes and, and what we think. Um, and, and Paul's saying, you know, don't treat that lightly. One of my favorite genres now in the last few years, I've really gotten into jazz. And I, I love jazz because it has roots in the blues. And in the blues, you sort of have these people who are meeting a great deal of injustice in the world and poverty, and they're meeting it through music. And that bleeds through into jazz, because jazz really has its roots in that. And you can feel that coming through, and I think that's why I've been so attracted to it, because you can feel sort of this optimism amidst the difficulty of life. Music is very powerful, and we're to use it uh, to help us. Um, it's a tool, and we combine it with the right words and the theology, and it makes a huge difference. And so, sing the best. If you want to live wisely, then sing the best. Find that music that is going to draw you towards God. Talk to Miguel. <laughs> He'll give you lots of lists of music, whatever. Um, but this is really, really, really important. You need, to, you need to address this area of your life. And some of you may be unwittingly like dragging yourselves down because you're listening to music that is pointing you in the wrong direction. And it's so, it feels good. You like it. You like the way it makes you feel. But it's just not, it's not helping. On our construction site, we have one of the guys, Clayton, who, um, you know, he's, he, he's a believer and he, he, he loves to listen to music. Uh, all the time while working, and uh, he, the only thing he thinks that's really encouraging is 80s music, because anything after that, you know, it gets really, so man, we've got 80s music all the time, and his radio went missing last week, and I'm pretty convinced that one of the neighbors must have taken it, because they're just, they're done with 80s music, but it's a choice to recognize how powerful the music is, it's a choice to say, I'm not, I want to let this music encourage me in the right direction. Okay, and then the fourth one is to recognize the best. So choose the best, drink the best, sing the best, recognize the best. Verse 20, giving thanks sometimes and for a few things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good, you're reading. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think uh, that our American culture is, is sort of a top, toxic combination of choice and individualism. We, we're really focused on what we want. And then we have a, a measure of wealth so we can, we can get the things that we want. And what that does is makes us really good at identifying what's not in our life. Because we're, we're, we become schooled in thinking about what I could have and the possibility of actually getting that because so much of the time we can get it. And so we're really good at thinking about what's not. And I have to raise my hand. I say, this is one of my, and, and pray for me, this is one of my spiritual battles. I am always on to what could be better, what's the next thing, and I am terrible at this verse. And this week, as I was preparing, I was trying to do this more, and I could just see the spiritual fruit being born from being a more thankful person. I desperately need to grow in this area, and I want to. 
And, and, and it's just so incredibly important. The antidote to sort of our toxic American culture is recognizing what is. And that's Thanksgiving. You know, we're fragile people. We, we focus on what's not all the time and we start to sink. And we focus on what is and we're lifted up. We rise. And, and anybody see a basketball game on Wednesday night that was pretty exciting? Right? What did you do? I mean, the wave is going around and around the thing. When people are excited because of this thing that is. And that just pales in comparison to what is in the light of what God has done. And for us to call that out day in and day out, to be reminded of it, to remember what God has done. And that's why this, that's why when he says, look what he says in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. This is a very long qualification. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he say all that? Why not just to God? Because he's, he's importing into it a reminder, this is what God has done. You were part of the people who turned your backs on God, and the God of the universe came after you in hot pursuit in the person of Jesus Christ. And when bringing you back meant that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for your sin, he did it. So you could be brought back into the fold. And you want to get angry that somebody cut you off on the freeway? Or that some store doesn't have the color of something that you want, right? He's putting this into the greater context of what God has done. And in that context, we have so many reasons to be thankful. So many reasons to be thankful. And the practice of thanksgiving shapes the way we move through life. Now, there's a fifth one that we're not going to get into today. It would be do the best. Choose the best, drink the best, sing the best, recognize the best. But I would say this. Before we even get to doing, it's about sort of creating this environment where our mind, our hearts, and our souls are shaped in the right way. And then, starting next week, we're going to talk about doing the best in relation to families and, and children and slaves and masters. The last verse says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're going to get into that next week. But let me just finish off this week by saying, this is what I, I, it seems to me Paul is really trying to get us to understand. I want you to think of a rock and a sponge. You put a rock in water and you pull it out again, it hasn't absorbed any of that water almost at all. And in a moment, it'll be dry. You put a sponge in the water and you bring it out and it's soaking wet, right? It's absorbed all that water. As people, we like to think of ourselves as rocks, that we can be set in any environment and we won't soak in what's there. But what Paul is saying, no, you're more like a sponge. You soak up what you surround yourself with. So be very careful about what you surround yourself with. Surround yourself with the will of God so that you soak it up. Surround yourself with the right kind of music so that you soak that up. Surround yourself with the Holy Spirit so you soak it in. Surround yourself with the thanksgiving that is right and true given the gospel. So you soak that in. 
And once you, you absorb all of that, and it continually changes and refines you, then we talk about what are we going to do, which we'll do starting next week. God, would you meet us in our desperate need for you? Um, how to pray. We want to choose the best. We want to meet the challenge of absorbing your will. And we know you've given us your will in Scripture, and your will is often discussed in the community of faith. And so that means we have to get into Scripture, we have to get into the community of faith so that your will can more and more seep into our souls. We want to drink the best, and, and some of us need to do business around alcohol and make sure, just to make sure it's not turning into a coping mechanism, but that when we need to cope with the challenges of life, our first instinct is to go to the Holy Spirit, not the spirits. Lord, help us to surround each other with music that points to you. And God, help us to become a thankful people, a people who identify what is, because there's so much that is, because of your great work in the world. And let that shape the way that we move through our days. We want to walk wisely. We want to live wisely. It will be a blessing to us. It will be a blessing to the people around us. And it will bring honor to you. And when we fail, we thank you that we have a, a forgiving God. And there's grace. But we want to be built up. So build us up. Even this week, help us to just try on these four different things. And see how it changes the way we look at the world and move through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.